This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. We are part of the CBS Sports Radio Network. I am Mike Casaza. I'd like to think of myself as an authority on West Virginia football. I admit I am not the authority on TCU. I joke about this. It hurts to admit. I'm always wrong on the Horned Frogs, so listen with that in mind today to help out Chris Anderson, who the master of all trades here and, and has done his research. And um, I believe you predicted 51 to 3 before we got on here, West Virginia. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we talked about it on the last pod. Uh, Neil Brown owns Gary Patterson, owns him, right? Yes, Maybe? yes. Uh, in all seriousness, you did not predict it. We did have some quick conversation off air. I have a feeling that we are going to talk about a lot of the similar things here because similar to the previous game against Baylor, kind of what you see is what you get with TCU, which of course means a stout defense that controls the game and a quarterback that the offense just doesn't trust. Oh, wait, the complete opposite this year. What is going on in Fort Worth? I have absolutely no idea. I, I try to get answers from our TCU site and, and, uh, Jeremy Clark, who's publisher over there for Horn Frog Blitz, so said he hasn't seen a defense this bad at TCU since 2004. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's that is that is a very long time. It, it, there are people who are driving that have driver's license that haven't seen a defense this bad for TCU, if that's true. And so I think um, you know, and he made it sound like it wasn't just one thing. I mean, I think a lot of it we're going to talk about here in a minute with the with the run defense, but that it's just all over the place uh, and and the run defense is just so alarming because they were so good last season to just so bad this season while they were returning a lot of the same guys and a lot and, and that people thought they'd be improved. I have some theories about this that will probably spill out during the next however many minutes we talk. One is that they've had awful luck with injuries in critical spots. They've lost all conference caliber players on the defensive line and they're plugging in with people who shouldn't be playing as much as they are. They've lost linebackers. They've lost safeties. Those are gap fillers, run stoppers. It's hard to be good when you're you're plugging guys in who don't practice a whole lot. And they're getting injuries early in games, too. So sometimes guys who don't even practice a whole lot are playing a lot. That has part of it. And I think politely that was mentioned by Brown, Neil Brown, and Jared Parker this week. They've had some injuries. Um, so that's, that's one theory that people do seem to agree with. I'm not sure TCU wants to admit that, but that probably is the truth. They should be better than this when they have their best 11, 15 in there. They're probably a lot better than this. Trouble is, they've had guys miss three, four, five games that are important players. And trouble with TCU is you never know who's going to be on the field because they are extremely private down there. They do not have a lot of media covering them. They're a private school, so they can kind of stay in a shell. So a lot of times, what you see and what you get, you don't know until maybe the first down or at least pregame. So TBD on some of that stuff. My other two theories. Are you ready? Go. One's a question. I think I have an answer for it. We have an awful run offense and awful run defense. Which one gives? I think in a situation like this, the bad run defense typically fares better than the bad run offense. I think it's I think it's harder to be good running 
than it is to be good stopping the run. All things equal. If the one, if they're both bad, I have a feeling that the bad run defense has an easier path to being above average than the bad run offense. Am I right? And why am I right? You're wrong. Oh. In this in this instance, and I'm going to tell you why. It's it's a very specific reason why I think it might swing the other way, and it's not some abundance of confidence in West Virginia or uh, my continued. Um, disregard for TCU, I guess you would put it, uh, over the last couple of years. But there are, we, we keep talking about the matchups and specific things that, that West Virginia can do well and what other teams don't do well, how they match up. And one thing that West Virginia has had some success with, some, not much, is the inside zone running scheme. And Neil Brown has talked about it a lot, about how the inside zone seems fine, and the outside zone is just terrible. And they and other teams have been able to kind of scheme against it. Now, Gary Patterson is still running his 4-2-5 defense, correct? Last I checked. Okay. Now, uh, a lot of times that might make two defensive tackles kind of lining up in that those two A-gaps. That is eh, maybe a problem. But really what you're more worried about is those guys eating up blockers and then the linebackers coming in. However... When you run this 4-2-5 and you spread those guys out, those linebackers are typically spread out a little further, not usually over in the middle of the lineup or over center, which might open up some more inside zone run game for West Virginia. And if it doesn't, well, if it doesn't, I, I, don't, I don't know if West Virginia is going to uh, you know, start doing outside zone. But what I'm saying is the inside zone might be more open. And the only way TCU can really bring in that extra linebacker, that extra defender to, to help defend in that inside zone scheme is to kind of change up their 4-2-5. And, and that's when you start getting into that thing that, that, that Neil Brown and Jordan Leslie and, and Jared Parker were talking about of changing what you are to try to adjust to the opposing team. And you really don't want to do that. And I don't think TCU wants to do that either. So just with that 4-2-5, it might end up more beneficial with West Virginia because the 425 is not set up to specifically kind of derail that inside running game. Yeah, it's a it's a true even front. Most downs in the 425, West Virginia is a 425, but that bandit sometimes becomes the fourth. Infrequently, but still sometimes we do see four hand on the ground in defensive lineman, but they go and tackle, tackle, and at TCU. And that's that's an extra gap in the running game. Trouble is their middle linebacker has not been very good. We'll talk about D Winters, but theory two. I do not want to run into TCU in the last half of the season. I think they have way too much skill, talent on offense. They can run the ball with the quarterback, as has been the case the past couple of years, and their running backs. They have really good receivers. Like, I don't understand how they have as bad a record, except I think their defense has been just so bad. Their offense is not the problem, and I just think they're going to get healthy and get that defense going. I'm not saying it happens at 730 on Saturday, but it might. And I think that you would look at some of these numbers and some of these trends and say, one week from now, I don't know, four weeks from now, six games from now, how the heck did that team go three and three to start and I don't know, five and one down the stretch. They have played a tough schedule, Cal, SMU, Texas, and Oklahoma. Um, they got the two big ones out of the way, I think, in the Big 12. Probably a harder schedule so far than West Virginia's faced, even though they've seen Oklahoma and Baylor. Probably a good comparison, I guess, because they saw two power fives in non-conference play. I'm not sure that Virginia Tech is any good. But anyways, I just like the talent on their offense better, and I think that they have the answers on defense once they get healthy. It may not happen Saturday, but 
this team spooks me a little bit if I see them on my October, November schedule just because the pieces are there. I think their coaching staff is way too confident to be like this. And then I look at the past couple of years and I say, well, maybe they just are a seven and six team. I just feel like that. I've always thought Patterson was elastic. And I wonder if he can do it within the season, because if you look at his skill position talent, it's there on offense. They're big and fast at receiver. They have running backs. Their offensive line is good. They've lost a couple guys in the offensive line, but they should be back sooner than later, maybe as soon as Saturday. And then again, I just think when they get that continuity on defense back, they're going to be tough. I, I, I do not want to see them in the second half of the season. Is it time for the, the Max Dugan talk? Is that because he let me, is? Let me put it out ahead. there. Uh-huh. Max Dugan, good. I think so. Uh-huh. They like for the past. I guess we're going on three years now. I have been on the fence, and I, I want to like him. I think he had all the tools to be really good, to be a top end talent in this league, and he hadn't gotten there. Uh, first year he was so up and down, but he was a freshman. Second year, up and down, up and down again, but he missed all of preseason practice. And did he miss the first couple games last year because of the heart condition? Yeah. He thought he was medically retired. Right. And so, you know, he had a heart condition, was out of football almost entirely. So maybe you, (laughs) your favorite thing, Mike, is this year zero? Is this year one for Max Max Duggan? Maybe it is because he, this is the first real chance he's had a full offseason where he's not a freshman where he was expected to be the guy and had a whole offseason to prepare for being the guy. And he looks great. He looks great. He has not thrown an interception since week two. I think it's 13 to two on touchdown interception ratio. Uh, he's done it with his feet. He's done it with his arm. He's not doing too much. I, I think that's also helpful is that he's not being asked to throw 40 times. He's also not being asked to run for 150 yards like he has in the past. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, hey, Go out there, be hyper-efficient in the passing game when we ask you to be, and make a couple plays on your feet when you need to be. And that's it. And he's been great at that. 65% completion percentage, and you're right. He's on a heater as far as interceptions go. 225 a game, and and running it enough, not all the time. And again, when you can turn around and hand it to their running backs and get legitimately seven, eight yards a pop, you do not have to be Superman. So that's, that's interesting development for that offense too and again he's got guys who can throw it too if they're healthy they're really good um they might not be completely healthy there but they still have talent on that side too uh final question suppose i'm wrong again about tcu and they are not good in the second half of the season when is the heat on patterson as a coach because that's about for a long time about as bulletproof as you can get in college football and he's, he's still up there he's still got some teflon you know 13 and 0 season buys you a whole lot of street cred a long time ago and they've been i would say apart from one dynamic season where maybe they should have been in the playoff, um, another 10-game season in there. But if you look at those highs, there's not only valleys, but they're building like houses in those valleys now. They've been below 500. They've been right about 500. And it's not because of recruiting. either. They have recruited at a pretty high level, especially at the skill position um, spots on offense and even defense. Their defense is always good. But I wonder if this ends up, I don't know, 5-7, and 7-5, seven, seven and five, they lose a bowl game. How many more times does the do the hands get to spin around the clock for him? It's funny. I I you started the you started this question and it made me think, I think I've asked this before. I think I've asked Jeremy uh Clark, our TCU guy, this before. I, I immediately pulled up my email, tried to search it, find it. Would you like to take a guess of of how many times I've asked this already? 
And I'm not saying that your question's bad. I'm just saying it's strange because I'm with you. I think 20 years is a really long time to be a coach anywhere in, in any sport, not just college football, but especially college football. And especially when you haven't reached, you know, you know it, it, 20 years is easier when you're Nick Saban and you're going to the national championship every two or three years. But when you're not doing that, 20 years is unheard of. I went back and looked. I'd asked about this in 2018 and 2019 just because it's like, hey, man, this times aren't, you know, what they were when TCU was tearing up, uh, was it the Mountain West and, you know, fighting to get into the Rose Bowl and stuff like that. How long does this last? How long does it how long can you keep doing this? And and the answer seemed to be that, hey, this is going to keep going as long as basically Gary Patterson wants to. Do you think that that is. Let me turn it around and ask you, do you think that's healthy for a, a team, a program, especially when, let me see, put this, what, do the math, 21 and 21 and 20 over the last four years for TCU so far? I think I, I, I covered a coach who was here for eight years, and I thought it got stale at the end. Um, and I don't know if that's because he felt he was spinning his wheels and he could only go so far, but I'm not sure that if that is accurate, that's that different from what you have at TCU. It's a particular job. It just is like you you have a small alumni base, small donor base. They can get money and it's private donations and things like that. So then they built things there. That's fine. But they're also recruiting in Texas, which is a cool thing to do, except that you remember there's so many other schools that are doing it. They've recruited very well. Um, their offense has been, I would say, erratic, at least in conception the past couple of years. Um, when you look at their highs, they had Trevon Boykin. And I wonder how much of a difference maker he truly was. They also had Josh Doxson, and they had players that could really run and and use that passing offense. So it took them a while to get to a certain point, similar to West Virginia, when they came in. They were seven and six and four and eight. And I want to say that they were maybe like six and twelve in the Big Twelve too. And then they went twelve and one, eleven and two. I think if I have this right now, I had fifteen and three in those next two years. But since then, six wins, 11, seven, five, six. This is three. It couldn't end up at, I don't know, seven, eight, nine. We'll see. It could also end up at five, six, seven. So I think that guy has earned a lot of rope. I don't know how much of it has slipped the other way right now because they try a lot of things. They switched their offense around. They've spent money on coordinators. They've cycled through assistant coaches He's been the constant. I'm not saying if you change that, that the conditions change, but I wonder what else you can change before people there kind of get a little apathetic about it because they don't have, again, it's not a big fan base down there. They're kind of passionate. They're committed. It's a small number that is pretty concentrated to the stands. I get that, but still like to see wins, whatever, and now they can hang their hat on some things. They have a great record against Texas. Among the schools in Texas, they are one of the most successful since they joined the Big 12. That's cool. You can do that, but I wonder if those things start to expire and that rope again begins to slip through his fingers a little bit. How much does the heat turn up? Um, new AD in there too, not new, but you know, Chris Del Conte is not there anymore. I think it's a smart thing to befriend Gary Patterson if you're the AD of the football team. But you know, if this if this ends up south of 500 again, or, or or if it ends up in just an okay bowl game with a loss there, you know, you kind of wonder. It's been they didn't have a bowl game last year. They didn't make a bowl game the year before. They salvaged a couple of seasons with a bowl game. Um, but it's a what have you done now? Not what have you done lately. But what have you done now? Whirling college football now in, in 20 years is a long time. And, and you wonder how stale it gets and what the interests are for the coach, 
but also on the outside in. Yeah, you're going to have, uh, you know, Gary Patterson supporters point out that he's had TCU, a TCU program, which, again, we're not talking some blue blood program here. TCU finishing in the top 10 in the country half of the years that he's, you know, since 2005. Seven, I think it's seven, about seven, seven of the last 16 or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Seven times since 2005. And then, you know, the pessimists, the, the detractors are going to say, yeah, but he's 21 and 20 in the last four years and has not won more than seven games since 2017. So it is, it, you can both ways this if you like, but it, it's one of those things where I always th- I always feel this way and I would feel this way if I were an athletic director, a coach, a GM, whatever it is when you're deciding about players, especially professionally. Um, you you want to get out one year early instead of two years too late. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to you want to let him have one more good year somewhere else rather than two more really bad years with your program. And if he has another mediocre year, you have to wonder if oh no, have you held on too long and you're getting the two years too late kind of thing. Yeah, I do think underrated was what they did last season. Um, they started one and three. And they played Iowa State, Texas. They beat Texas, Kansas State, Oklahoma. They lost to Kansas State. They beat Oklahoma or lost to Oklahoma. So they're one and three out at the gate. And they went five and one at the end. And in a, I guess, de facto bowl game, they played Louisiana Tech at the end of the season. And they were up 45 nothing and won 52 to 10. But in those five out of six, 33, 34, 59, 29, 52 points, the outlier is they lost to West Virginia 24 to six, which people forget about. But that was a team that was good before and after that game. Uh, they're six and four that season, but five and one at the end, three and three here. And again, if they if they get healthy, they could be on their way. We'll see. Let's talk West Virginia offense, Texas Tech defense. This goes into the running game matchup. Um, Texas Tech, excuse me, TCU, TCU's defense, 120 in the country, yards per game, yards per attempt. And then alarming to me, um, if you look at the percentage of snaps they play on defense, that the mm-hmm. opponent runs or passes. The opponents are running 57.5% of the time against TCU. That is 105 out of 130 in the country. They know that TCU cannot stop the run, not consistently, if not at all. If you're getting the handoff six out of 10 times and you're gaining in excess of five yards, that is demoralizing for a defense. You can be healthy. Uh, you can be as good as your reputation with a head coach, defensive mind, scheme, whatever it is. But if the other team is moving you like that, Six snaps out of ten, it's really hard to survive. The question is not, is that the way to go against TCU? It is. Everybody seems to do it. Is that the way that West Virginia can go against TCU? I I mean, if you're asking me, it sounds like it, based off what Neil Brown and and Jared Parker said on Tuesday. Sounds like that's what they're working on. I believe they both said, or at least Neil Brown said, they spent most of the bye week trying to figure out the running game. And they know, they recognize that that is TCU's weakness, and they're going to try to make that work. Um, I I ask you, is that the best answer for West Virginia? Because maybe it is. Maybe that's the best offense that West Virginia can muster when they get that run game rolling. Or do you want to try to put it in the hands of Jared Thagey throwing the ball around? No, I don't want that. I'd much rather, if I, I just don't think I can outscore TCU. So right. it's a weird thing to say, but I don't want to do that because I can't do that if I'm if I'm Neil Brown. I've seen it happen a bunch. I don't think 30 points is an outlandish expectation for an offense in 2021, except maybe here. So 
time of possession could be really important too. Um, I just look at the numbers and I'm surprised that we're back in 2019 stages where a team that has a returning 100 yard rusher per game, right? Letty Brown mm-hmm. is yep. averaging less than 100 yards a game right now. And then 3.33 yards per carry. Sure. If you do that four times, you get a first down, I guess. Right. But that's pretty average. You know, in fact, below average it's 113 in the country. And then that percentage of snaps, people know they can run against TCU. Well, flip that around. West Virginia knows that the running game is not very good. Uh, running the ball 44% of the time, that's number 112 in the country. People are not in love with Jared Daigie's season, his efficiency, his yards per attempt, all those matters that indicate how good a quarterback is. He's being asked to pass the ball 56% of the time. Not the way to go. Um, if you can't bring that more toward even against a defense like TCU, I think you're in trouble there. So I think that's the way they have to go because if you find out that you're not good at it, you're used to that. You go back to passing it. But, man, if you can succeed even a little bit above average, if you're just okay running against a bad defense, I think that changes everything for your offense. Which stat holds up? Which streak here? Tendons, uh, whatever you want to call it. West Virginia 0-7 in their last seven road games, last win being that 2019 game at TCU. Mm-hmm. Or West Virginia 5-0 and against the spread. In their last five games against Texas, Texas Christian, TCU. So, and I think the spread's only four points. So we're talking a field goal or, or winning the game outright. I think. Little, little same game parlay there. <laughs> Piece it together. I, listen, I like West Virginia's spot here. Um, this is not to put Neil Brown in a corner, but if that guy can't use a bye week, if his staff can't use a bye week to find out ways to move the ball against a very civ defense, if you can't inspire your team to beat a team that you were 2-0 against, win a game where you last one where you played. And by the way, snap a three-game losing streak. Snap a seven-game losing streak. Keep bowl inspirations alive. Then you pretty much pop the balloon on this season, I think. I don't think mm-hmm. these guys want to go out after seven games knowing that they got to play perfect the rest of the way just to make a bowl because that's not within them. Now, are, is it within them to win this game? Absolutely. I really like West Virginia's spot here. Um, I would be surprised. If it's a high-scoring game, I would expect something in the in the I don't know in the reasonable point spread area there too. But I, I definitely think that West Virginia can win this game if it gets in its lane and it stays out of its way. Which are, which are the big ifs? Can they can they get in the game early? That's a difficult thing on the road, especially if TCU knows they can air it out. And then can they stay in the game if they're playing from behind? We'll see. Well, that was kind of big picture there. Are we still on offense here? I didn't mean to take us completely off uh, West Virginia offense, TCU defense here. Are we are we still on that? We can talk some matchups here for the offense here. I looked at some things about the running games. I was puzzled how this is happening. I do think that losing guys like Corey Bethel and O'Shawn Mathis up front, um, that hurts. That hurts your defensive line. If you have four on the line and two of them aren't in there, that's not good. Um, what I'm surprised about is that in their five games – against FBS teams. And I'll get this data in printed form for you, probably in the fresh set on Friday morning. But they play Cal, TCU, Texas, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma. Um, Cal is pretty much a gap scheme team. At least that's what they they tend toward. The other teams are zones, basically. Inside zone, outside zone. Um, If you look at the splits of zone and gap, uh, Cal, 13 zone plays, 7 gap plays. TCU against, let's see, who was this one against? Their second game was SMU. 37 zone plays, 13 gaps. And then it really evens up. Uh, Texas, 24-18. 
Texas Tech, 16-17. Oklahoma, 17-13. A lot of gap success. Um, teams that aren't gaps are running gap schemes against Texas Tech or against TCU. Uh, you mentioned some of that interior running. What are the strongest positions so far on West Virginia's team? Left guard and center, right? Mm-hmm. West Virginia is more than two to one zone to gap. I can't believe that's the way you go into this game on Saturday. If what I just read you is true and teams are able to run the gap schemes, even if they're zone teams, right? If they can run gaps and be successful, that has got to be a place you look if you're West Virginia, even if your tendencies so far are about two to one zone to gap. If your guard and center are good, if you have motivated your starting right guard with a backup right guard, or if your backup right guard is just better, you're Guard center guard could be good. It might work. It's not as simple as just asking your guard and center to pull. Tackles have to hold up. Tight ends probably have to do some help there. But that personnel is is there on the field for them. And I just think that they're a better team blocking inside and, and asking their offensive line, you know, to push instead of to reach a little bit, to work less. What I mean by that is time, that that inside stuff, gaps, traps, things like that, counters, that hits quick. I, I just think that's a way to go here, too. I look at it, and that's just a, a trend I can't figure out, too, um, and, and why that is the case. Because, again, you're going to hit things early. The middle of their defense is not very good. And then their their yards after contact, 72, 188, 176, 122, 140. That's not rushing yardage. That's yards after contact. Where does your contact typically happen? At the point of contact, at the line of scrimmage. And if teams are gapping them, that's how it's happening. They're creating space to the gap. They're bouncing off a tackle. They're making a tackle miss because they have a chance. I would be, I don't know what the word is, disappointed, surprised, if West Virginia doesn't find a way to be better inside. Uh, you're not going to get any disagreement from me here. Uh, that, that's that's something they got to take advantage of. I, I don't think, you know, I a little bit ago I talked about how they don't want to completely and totally change their scheme or their personnel or whatever their approach to the game. I don't consider trending a little more towards gap instead of zone in the running game in an overhaul, mm-hmm. a, a drastic change. I consider that within the realm of possibility, and I, will, I, I too would be stunned if West Virginia doesn't make that same move. Where else do you want to look, West Virginia's offense against TCU's defense? Do you want to talk? You brought, you brought him up, and I'm going to talk about him too because it's glaring. But do you want to talk about D. Winters? Yeah, D. Winters is supposed to be, and I would say is, a very good linebacker. I think he's probably been put in some bad spots because things are leaking through that defensive line. But he's their middle linebacker, and that's a that's a guy who's got to do a whole lot in the middle of a 4-2-5. Um, leading tackler for the season, leading tackler on the roster for his career. He has 10 missed tackles this year. He's been targeted 10 times, has given up 10 receptions for 202 yards and two touchdowns. Um when he's been in the crosshairs, they've been on their heels. And West Virginia has ways to to use the middle of the field. You know, is it mesh stuff? Is it sending the quarterback, uh, excuse me, sending the running back out of the backfield or on routes? Is it doing something with the tight end? Yes, yes, yes. Listen, that's on film. That's been a weakness for them this season. That is something that West Virginia can do. You can dial up all these things that TCU can't do, and you can try to take advantage of Oh. They haven't been able to do this. They haven't held up there. Fine. Can you actually put the personnel on the plane out there to take advantage of it? In this situation, I absolutely think so. I'm not saying you pick on the guy, but I would say you make him prove he's better than what he's so far shown. How do you get how do you get him in coverage? Gotta isolate him. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to basically play 10 personnel 
And then, man, it'd be really good if you had a quarterback who could run and make sure that that player is in conflict. Um, am I leaning toward a certain direction there? Yeah, I think there's a way you can do it. You're going to have to go 10 personnel, I think, which, again, that takes a tight end off the field. However, you can play the tight end in the slot. They're not unfamiliar with that. But if you go 10 personnel, you have guys who can come in the middle if they play zone. You also match up the running back against the linebacker, which is being a one-on-one situation. I think West Virginia will take their chances with Letty Brown. And again, if you find a way to have Garrett Green in there and he can do something to run, you're going to put that middle linebacker in conflict. You're going to put those two linebackers in conflict where they have to make a decision. They're going to have to account for the running back who happens to be the quarterback in this situation. They can both run it, um, but he can also do some things to pass it too. That's just an extra an extra conflict for the eyeballs there too. There's way that, there, there are ways they can do it, and again, other teams have done it. You can find it, I'm sure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The two of the, I guess, three guys, I don't want to say, try to get minimum snaps here, but um, in the entire Big 12 in missed tackles, D winners, Wyatt Harris, the other linebacker for DCU. Who may not play. Who may not play. Well, mm-hmm. is that a bad thing for them, I guess? I don't Maybe know. Maybe who knows. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, both of those two guys, two of the top five in uh, missed tackle percentage, so the opportunities they get and how often they're missing tackles, both of them right about one in four. One in four times that they are in position to make a tackle, they miss it. So you get those guys in space, you get that middle of the field in space. Uh, again, D winners definitely playing. Harris maybe not, but um, you can you can get some moves if if you can get that yard after contact. Which again, we keep talking about get right games in uh, West Virginia when they were playing Texas Tech and how many missed tackles Texas Tech had. It might be a get right game for West Virginia's running. Ended up being a get right game for Texas Tech's tackling. It's, you got to actually make the guys miss. So this might be a get right game for D winners here if West Virginia can't make him miss. Um, another guy to watch on that side. Um, if Harris doesn't play, they'll probably play Jamoy Hodge. Nine missed tackles this season, and opponents are fourteen for sixteen when they target him. Uh, much lower um, yardage, just eighty-seven yards. But that's a guy that when he's been on the field, teams have made him do something there. Harris is uh, Brown. Neil Brown called him like the quarterback of their defense. Uh, if he's not there, that's going to be a, an interesting thing. If they put if they put Hodge out there, listen, you test him. You see what you can do. Uh, another guy to watch, too, is LeKendrick Van Zant. Caught his act this year? I have not. Strong safety, chasing a lot, it looks like. Um, opponents are 9 for 9 when they target him. 79 yards, they've given up some plays in the back end. Um, is it all on him? Is it one of those things where he just happens to be chasing because the coverage went bad? Possibly. They've, had, they've just had a lot of injuries in the secondary. Corner, safety. Um, they play three safeties, so if you don't have one or two of them on the field at the same time, you're, you're going to be spinning a lot. I think he's been the victim of some circumstances around him, but the point is, whether it's because of the individual or because the circumstances in front of or around that individual, they've just had some spills on defense that, you know, is West Virginia the splashiest offense? No, no. The TCU has been like a colander on defense, too. They have not been able to hold it together. 
five of the top 17 or worst 17, I guess, in missed tackles in the Big 12 Conference from TCU. Five of the top 17. Yeah, and it's and it's players who are out there maybe that they shouldn't be is is the players that are in position because the players who aren't out there possibility. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Um, matchups. Anybody mano a mano that you think, or is it just one of those things where you just do something when you get the ball because everybody else has? It's. I mean, it, I don't want to single anybody out right now. I, I think it's just about making plays in space, and this is something that it it's it's difficult for people to hear, and the coaches say it, and it's almost. You know, people get a little uneasy about it because it seems like the coaches are blaming the players, but the coaches aren't wrong when they say players have to win their one-on-ones. And a lot of times they're talking about you know receivers getting open uh, on routes, but it also comes to to these one-on-ones when they're in open space and just simply breaking tackles, simply making blocks and getting through the hole. And I, I think there's several players on West Virginia's team, obviously, that need to be able to win their one-on-ones especially when you have so many different players on this TCU defense that have struggled this season. So you can pick one, you can pick, you can pick like, like you were talking about the matchup over whoever gets D winters in conflict and however you end up getting a tight end or a running back or a slot receiver on him, or even a quarterback if, if Garrett Green's in there, but you also got to think about the other spots with Van Zandt at safety. Uh, Bradford's out there is really bad too. Um, uh, Harris, if he plays, and then TJ Carter, another safety. You know, you got a lot of guys that just have struggled to make tackles this year. And if you can get them in space, you have to win those battles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to have one of the better players you'll see this year in Travius Hodges Tomlinson, uh, outside corner. And he follows around the best receiver, I think. I looked at his snaps this year. He's played, yeah, 299 snaps outside, 148 on the left, 151 on the right. So, I'm assuming if he's a left side, right side guy, that means he's stapled to one player. Probably follows Ford Wheaton, right? Mm-hmm. But he, he's kind of a shutdown guy. I mean, you, you take your chances, I guess, sometimes against players and do what you can do. But he's um he's been very good, and I'm guessing he'll follow around Ford Wheaton. But also wonder if they don't do some things to to maybe switch it up. Do you, I don't know. Do you, do you go three on one side just because it's a little you know maybe isolate him on one side? Do you go? I don't know how many receivers you can jam on one side, but you can also do all sorts of things with clusters and bunch formations and try to get them free. But the thing about their defense, too, people forget, they they goof with quarterbacks so much where they play like half man and half zone. So if you go like a, a gimmick where you put three receivers on one side and, and one on the other, you're probably going to get zone on that three on one side and you're probably going to get man on the right side. They're just coached very well. Um, pass defense has not been an issue for them, too. They've just been so bad with the run that – they they are they're on their heels a lot. Um, their fourth quarter run splits and defense are really bad. That's about six and a half yards a carry. Teams are running the ball more in the fourth quarter against them than any other quarter because that's what you can do. And if you can wear them down early on, you're probably going to run over them at the end of the game. But West Virginia probably can't be afraid of taking their chances here. I think Daigie has to – he's got to keep the ball in the air. And, and you mentioned plays in space. I think one thing a lot of people want to see is the offense get in the rhythm. You know, don't play hurry up and punt, but you can certainly play with some space between snaps. And then we've seen Daigie do some RPO stuff and be okay with his accuracy. Um, We haven't seen a lot of screen passes lately, but again, if you're running into a zone on one side, you can do something with screens there. Um, There's there's ways you can get the ball out quick and give your guys a chance in space against this team. I think you're right there. You have to do something to get them into situations where they can be successful because that's when they're at their best. They're not best at their best when they're trying to drop back and hit play action passes or deep passes, but 
when they're catching slants, when they're catching balls in a pocket and they can run. They are. They can be pretty good on offense, and this is a defense that may give them some chances there because I'm sure TCU is going to be trying to stop the run better than they have and just take away what West Virginia probably intends to do just because they've seen everybody else intend to do it. Yeah, I the Hodges Tomlinson thing, that's – I don't think you're going to – I don't want to say you just give up on it, but trying to win one-on-ones against that guy is going to be very difficult. Uh, he is the top corner in the Big 12 Conference as far as opposing quarterback rating is concerned, according to PFF. A um, couple safeties higher than him from Iowa State, but as far as corners go, he is the top guy um, as in, in coverage and in opposing quarterback rating. So I don't know how much you're going to be wanting to go on an island one-on-one with him and Bryce Ford Wheaton. And so I liked your idea of bunch formations, little diamond formation, trips left, trips right, whatever you can to try to get him, um, again, like you said, in conflict. That, that's, a, that's a term that you always hear coaches say, because it's so very important. If you make it very straight up that this is what's going to happen for a defender, this is who you're defending, this is what how you, where you're going to go, it's easy to defend. But if you put them in conflict, make them decide who am I guarding, who am I going, where am I going, what are they doing, that makes it much more, more difficult. And I think that's really the only way you're going to get the best of a guy like that. Yep. Uh, teams are 9 for 23 and they pass against him this year. Uh, two interceptions, no touchdowns, 171 yards receiving. Uh, Oklahoma, we could say that's a pretty smart, pretty good offensive team, right, Chris? Mm-hmm. One for one, six yards, seven yards after the catch. That means that was a screen pass that went to him. Um, they did not mess with him and they were pretty successful in offense. Again, if they show you something, listen to it. It's probably a good idea. Flip sides of the ball, unless you have anything else you want to add about the offense here, Chris. No, let's go. Let's go to defense. Um, again, Doug and we talked about they have, man, West Virginia's going to see some dynamic running backs and running games. You're going to think about Brees Hall, B. John Robinson, maybe, maybe Deuce Vaughn, Jalen Warren for sure. But again, names either last year or certainly this year. Do not overlook Zach Evans and Kendry Miller. This is one of your more prolific running games and tandems in the country. Just sounds weird coming out of my mouth that it belongs to TCU. Uh, yeah, doesn't get much better. You, you go. We talked about you know Baylor having a good a good little one two punch there with Ebner and Smith, but Evans and Miller. I want to make sure I don't uh, put my foot in my mouth here, but I I think they're the best one two that you got in the league. I don't know. Was there is there another team that I'm missing here? I mean, I yeah, okay. Bijan Robinson. I don't think anybody in the league touches him. Kenny Bijan Robinson and me are better than these. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That that's that's a fair point. I guess that's one way to look at that. But this is this is a one-two combo that West Virginia is just not going to see much this year, and they are fantastic. Uh, PFF running grades: two of the top six in the entire Big Twelve Conference. Just those two, um, both there, and they are not afraid to have them out there at the same time. Uh, they both actually do a decent job run blocking as well, not just pass blocking. Uh, it's kind of strange, uh, yeah. you know, and some of that's, I don't know how much of that is for each other, but a lot of times in the designed runs for, for the quarterback. So you, you, you got to be prepared for those guys. And we talked about zone and gap splits. TCU is five to one zone, mm-hmm. zone gap. So, you, you know, you, you're almost, almost entirely going to get that zone, zone matchup. And this is where, and maybe, hey, maybe this is why Neil Brown owns Gary Patterson. Um, mm. Those listening, I, this is just an ongoing joke just because 
Matt Wells owns Neil Brown. Neil Brown owns Gary Patterson, of course. But West Virginia loves to – how you stop the inside zone is typically – because what they're trying to do on inside zones is double up on the defenders in the middle of the field, uh, in the in the interior gaps. But you can get around that by bringing extra defenders or stunting and twisting your defensive linemen, which is something West Virginia loves to do. And I think it's just a natural, I don't want to say mismatch, but it's just, it's just something that doesn't work well for TCU and, and other teams that tend to lean on that inside zone running game because West Virginia stunts and twists so much, and they have the defensive linemen that can do it successfully. And I think that is one way, one positive for West Virginia here. Again, that's that's why they rank as one of the best run defenses in the country, partly because of that. And, and it disrupts these zone running schemes when you do those stunts and twists that West Virginia does so well. I want to ask you a question about Zach Evans first, but to your point, runs from left guard to right guard. So basically, mm-hmm. inside the left guard shoulder to inside the right guard shoulder. 74 carries for him. 45 are in that little quadrant. Um, he does not mess around. He goes there and he does that stuff because he's good at it. And again, mostly inside zone. So what you're talking about there, that's got to be in West Virginia's crosshairs. Got to be good at it, too. Are you surprised that Evans has stuck? Because there were, I mean, this is no offense to him, but his was a bizarre recruiting story. <laughs> and and there were, I would say, some red flags. But he's been he was pretty good last year. Um, they brought him along at a pace that was ultimately very good for him. He's been very, very good this year, too. And I think it's a great story, but I think a lot of people would have been caught off guard if you had told them this a year ago. No, I think, uh, God, when it was, was it, it was Georgia that he was originally committed to, was going to go there. Very strange with some awkward public statements from him, his family. Um, it ended up all over the place. I, I, it, Right then and there, and maybe I might even have said it right here on the podcast. I th- I was like, well, that kid probably a goner. I mean, it, it like just you just don't think when when guys have those kind of issues. Statistics say, and there this is out there. I mean, they did a whole study on this on the guys that decommit for quote no reason, guys who decommit from a program or or switch switch commitments when there's not a coaching change. Guys that do that, they were succeeding less in college than those who were not flip-flopping all around and all over the place. And when you have somebody like Evans who was doing what he was doing, I was thinking, well, that's it for him. And he has, by all accounts, been fine. You know, no no issues. He's he's doing well on the field. He's not having issues off the field as far as I'm, I know. So um, kudos to him for getting that in order. But, yeah, if you would have told me this, uh, whatever it was, two years ago when this was going on, I would have said, well, he's probably not even on the team anymore. The TCU depth chart is Zach Evans or Imari DeMarcado or Kendry Miller or Mark LaFoster. It's Evans or Miller. (laughs) Gary Patterson is your kind of guy, man. That's your guy. You're the or guy, right? Uh, Evans is, is incredible. He's the leading player among active running backs for yards per attempt would you like to guess what the number is uh, no idea for backs with 100 or more attempts uh-huh 7.9 per carry jeez you know who's number jeez. four is it miller it's kendry miller at 7.3 they have two of the four most 
singularly explosive, I guess. I don't mean they're going to break the most 20-yard runs they can, but like guys who are going to get you a punch almost every time you got it, 7.9, 7.3. And they make guys miss. They combine for 40 missed tackles on their handoffs. Um, I think right about 100 runs for those two guys. 40 missed tackles. That's pretty good. And then yards after contact, uh, 4.77 for Evans, 5.16 for Miller. Um, I like Miller a lot. Like th- That guy is, I think people think that Evans is coming off the field and the next guy is not going to be as big and perhaps or as good. And perhaps TCU has planted that seed with the three ores for four running backs. You bring in Miller, who six foot two fifteen, he has seven touchdowns this year. He averages thirty three point three yards per touchdown. Six on the ground, one in the air. Um fifty three yard touchdown against Oklahoma on a pass play. He has some two and five yard touchdowns and then Three huge touchdown runs against Texas Tech in the second half where they just they blew them off the field. The first half and then just ground down to a pulp with the running game in the second half. But explosive guy, really good tandem. They have some some big, strong guys in their offensive line. And they've had some injuries and haven't really missed a beat. They've just been very good here, too. Um, something Neil Brown said that I'm sure you're a fan of if you haven't circled it yet, Chris. The battle on first down. Have you done your research on this one? You, you seem to like this stat. <laughs> I... I... I loved it for the Baylor game, and then it was so not important for that game that I bailed on it this week. So, t- so lay it on me. TCU run plays on first down, six point eight four yards per carry, number two in the country. Coastal Carolina's first six point eight eight. West Virginia's defense two point nine seven yards per carry on first down. Number 11 in the country, number six in the FBS. That is strength meets strength right there. Uh, one team is going to want to do something. The other team is going to not want to let them do it. Um, I mentioned this because TCU is very good on third down, too. They do a lot of things well on offense, but they're so efficient on first down that they get into good spots on third down. They're converting. A, I'm trying to find the number here. Is it over 50% on third down? Uh, TCU as a whole? Yeah. Yeah, it's about 50%, 55%, I think. They're up there, like way up there it helps 53.7 percent 44 of 82 on third down fourth in the country first in the big 12 that's because they're so successful on first down too um i know you were mistaken i guess for baylor but we feel like it's no less important here or this is another be another example of it just gets scrambled and um i think what west virginia was guilty of and has admitted is they tried to stop the run so hard against TC, excuse me, Baylor, that they got beat over the top by a quarterback they said they did not believe could do the things he did. Or does Duggan scare you more than Bohannon and you have to play this more even than you did against Baylor? Uh, Duggan does not scare me more than Bohannon right really? now, uh, at least as far as the deep pass goes. No, I don't I don't think so. Maybe that's just recent scars, uh, recency bias here, because Bohannon looked like a Heisman candidate in that game. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I don't know. I think this offense is more dynamic than Baylor's with all the different options and all the different things they do. And maybe give some credit to the offensive line here, too, uh, which you did just a second ago. But I I think it's not as when we were previewing Baylor and we talked about how once they got outside of third and three, they were terrible. Absolutely friggin terrible. TCU. You go down and look at their breakdown, their third down offense. You have to go all the way to third and so third and six 
Third and six. We're, we're talking third and medium and, and closer. 76% conversion rate <laughs> on third and six like and better. So, you know, third and one to third and six. But 76%. So there, there's no way you got to win first down to make it third, third and six like we were talking about with Baylor because Baylor was so bad even on third and four and third and five. Uh, TCU is great there too. They're really great. So it, it's more of a look at how can you get it into third and long, which when you start talking about that, this is where it comes in with the run defense. This is where it comes in with havoc plays, which is tackles for loss, sacks. And can West Virginia get in that backfield and force TCU into like a, a negative, you know, a, a one lo- one yard loss on the first down run? Can they get to second and 11, second and 12 and then work from there? That's going to be tough to do when you're facing a team that, as you noted, is averaging about seven yards per first down run. Mm-hmm. Duggan's succeeded this year because they haven't asked him to do a ton of stuff. Um, yeah. So play action, for example, teams are sometimes at or above 50% on play action. They're 30%. And he gets you about 11 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, no picks. But his average depth on a play action pass is 15. So when, when they do it, he goes for it. So that's pretty good. And that explains why they've been as explosive. But screen passes, he does not do that a lot. 23 out of 26, that's just 16%. So really, when you think, you know, quote unquote gimmick stuff on offense, you know, screens or play action passes, they run so well, you figure they would have more play action passes. Not really the case, but they kind of make him play straight up. And he's about a 65% passer and they don't gimmick it up, which is pretty good, too. And then he's always a threat to run. Has very good, very scary, very fast, very big receivers that he can use. Quentin Johnson, 185 yards, three touchdowns. Um, I had people whisper to me in the offseason, and I think even Josh Payton may have said this on one of his late kicks in the summer, that people thought he might have been the best talent at receiver in the Big 12. Um, again, he just got three touchdowns, just got 185 yards. He was not near that for the season, anything like that for the season. In fact, his totals before that weren't even that close to that. Um, that may be a reason that this this offense takes off of a guy like him comes out Darius Davis is a sub four three guy in the forty, who's a slot guy. Um, they get him short stuff and let him do things. They get him on the run. He's also their punt returner. He has three punt return touchdowns in his career. Uh, JD Spillman is hurt, may not play. They kind of miss him, but they have other people that are all of that that kind of short twitchy slot guy or big lanky strong outside guy too. Good targets. Um, it's been a while since they were prolific at that receiver position, but. Seems like they have some pieces here this year, too. And the dangerous part is that West Virginia has, has kind of hit their defensive backs over the head about being more aggressive and going for the ball. And, you know, maybe you get there early and get a penalty. Maybe you get there early and you make a mistake, but go and try to do something. We need to have more than four turnovers in six games, guys. Um, so skilled at receiver that I wonder if that becomes a factor here. Can you play as aggressive against these guys? Are you worried about their size and speed? Um, that's going to be a match to watch because they're going to definitely take some shots, I think, with the attention that West Virginia may give the running game. Yeah, the um, the quarterback thing, I, I was kind of glad that Neil Brown said that because it was something that I felt like I saw with my eyes, but I wasn't sure about specifically Nick Troy Fortune kind of being afraid to go after the ball. I don't want to say afraid. It just seemed like he was hanging back, waiting to make the tackle after the guy made the catch instead of trying to go through the guy to get the ball. And and that allowed, specifically against, especially against Baylor, 
to make a few big plays and resulted in that first that first long touchdown was exactly yeah. one of them. He kind of hung back on that slant and was, I don't know, it seemed like he was waiting to catch an interception, not realizing that the guy was cutting right in front of his 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 his, his body there to take it and run. But I was glad that Neil Brown brought that up because he has to play more aggressive. I Quentin Johnson, you know, just an unreal talent, 6'4", 200 pounds, and he plays almost exclusively outside. Uh, I think it was, looking at it now, 93, 92% of his snaps are outside receiver, which means that's going to come on Fortune. That's going to fall on Porter. Both those guys are about 5'10". That's six inches that you're giving up to a big athletic receiver. You can't play timid if you're also six inches shorter. You have to play aggressive. You have to get up on him. You have to make plays on the ball. And, and so far this season, Porter, we've seen a little bit of it. Fortune, we have not. So that has to change before this game. Circle a name here, Savion Williams. He was their kickoff return guy last year really fast. Um, he's 6'5", 214. That is not supposed to be a kickoff return guy, but he can move. He had two catches last game, had none before that after the opener when he had two catches. Um, he's an outside guy that if you put so much attention on Quentin Johnson, especially after last game, and you have to worry about Tay Barber, uh, Darius Davis, we mentioned J.D. Spillman inside, you can't double everybody. You can't zone over everybody. Someone may run past you, and that's not the guy you expect. He has the speed and the potential, and I think they're waiting for him to break out. It's a four-star guy from last year who just hasn't clicked so far, but if you're worried about something in the closet coming out and catching you off guard, uh, that might be one of them there, too. They have talent there. It should be, should be interesting, too. Um, closing the offense here, red zone. 23 mm. for 23, 17 touchdowns, and there's no secret here. They've thrown 18 passes and run the ball 41 times in the red zone. They don't ask Dugan to do a whole lot. He's been very good. Uh, he's 11 for 18 passing with seven touchdowns, um, but they run the ball. Uh, 4.5 yards a pop, 10 touchdowns, 41 carries. They do some different things in different parts of the field. You can fill me in here, Chris. I think it's pretty interesting too, but uh, they stick with their guns when they get down to the red zone. Yeah, you look at the breakdown of their run pass um, decisions or play calls at the different points of the field, and it it they get – more conservative the closer they get to the end zone. Um, even even around the middle of the field, from between the 40-yard lines, they are running the ball almost 70% of the time. Uh, it gets a little more a little more loosey-goosey between the, the 40 and the 20 in the red zone, but still 60% run. And then, as you noted, in the red zone, it's back up to almost 70% run for a TCU. When they are in their own territory, deep in their own territory, like early in drives typically – um, it's about 55-45. So it seems that once they get that that uh, drive started, once they get in a position where they feel like they can inch a few more yards, get a few more yards, get in field goal range, whatever it is, whatever their strategy is, it's trending a lot more towards running when they get on the positive side of the field. A lot of runs in there. And like I said, red zone, 23 at 23, one of only four teams in the country to have scored every trip in the red zone. And they are, I would say, considered the leader because they have the most trips out of those four into the red zone and have scored every time. Yep. Um, and they mix it up, too, with what they're going to do. I've seen both running backs in the backfield inside the red zone there. Uh, Evans has 11 carries, four touchdowns. Miller has 13 carries, three touchdowns. And this is where, where Duggan can hurt you. Are we at Duggan or Duggan? We've said it both ways. 
I go Duggan. I guess we'll go. Let's go Duggan. I'll, I'll stick with that. Um, ten carries, thirty yards, two touchdowns for Duggan. Um, he has six touchdowns, no picks, fourteen and two for his career. He's really good down there too, but he he's running it more in the red zone this year. Twenty six, twenty eight carries his first two years in the red zone already. Um, thirty. Um, where we have him here uh, in his career at 30. So he's running it more often this year when he gets close. And he's been he's been pretty good down there, too. Um, two touchdowns. He makes good decisions when he throws it, too. That's another guy you got to watch. So if you have the two backs in the backfield plus the running back, you, you can only do so many things on defense to guard against that. And I think West Virginia wants to guard the goal line a lot better than they have lately, too. They've been good in the red zone. They've given up more touchdowns than they probably want. But that could be a difference here. Uh, to confirm, Doug in. Doug in. Okay, good. I, I I probably said it both ways on this very on this one podcast. So um, here we go, Chris. The popular question we gather. Gosh, sometime Saturday night, close to midnight. I'm guessing uh, people are listening whenever here. But we're talking about someone, something, an aspect of the game that explains the outcome. Take it away. Josh Chandler Semedo. Hmm. I think that's that. I'm going to go that way. Um, I, there's. I'm getting tired of saying quarterback, I think, before every game, although I think you probably could. But I'm going I'm going that way because I think if West Virginia wins, he might be the guy that we're talking about. He's going to end up with 10, 11, 12 tackles because his struggles this year have been in coverage. Uh, I, I mean, it's been obvious to the eye. His PFF grades kind of reflect that, not as, as, as egregiously as you might think just by watching. But his run defense has been – solid to excellent somewhere in that range and they're going to need him to fill in these gaps or in these in these zone runs fill in the holes fill in the lanes and make tackles he cannot miss tackles because again you you talked about all those yardage uh all those yards that those two guys were getting uh between miller and and um and evans they also are two of the very best in the entire country in yards after contact. Miller uh, ranks seventh in the country out of all the FBS teams, 5.16 yards after contact uh, per attempt. Zach Evans, number 14, 4.77 yards per attempt uh, after contact per attempt. So both of them break tackles, they get loose. I'm looking at Josh Chandler Samito to to stop that and to fill in those gaps and stop that running game. Oh, I like it. it. It kind of borrows from mine. So maybe I'll adjust here. But I was going to say defensive pursuit for West Virginia because they're going to have to do a lot to gang tackle to make sure that things don't get jailbreak on them and they have to, you know, chase people into the end zone or chase people for 30-yard gains. But I think they want to do so much to surround the ball to try to rip it out and cause fumbles or to catch deflected passes that if if nothing else, what, what's, what caught me most off guard early on against TCU and then, or excuse me, Texas Tech and then against Baylor, not only the energy, but how you did not see players in mass getting to the ball. How many times the balls get bad in the air against Baylor and no one was there to catch it. Um, whereas if you look at the one interception against Oklahoma, when the defense is on its toes, the entire game attacking, reacting, doing what it's supposed to do, what happens? Jackie Matthews is near the ball, makes an interception on a batter ball. They've lacked that. I think defensive pursuit is going to be a really big deal here to, to keep plays out of the end zone, maybe force field goals, to force turnovers on fumbles, to catch batter balls in the air. I'd watch out for that. But since you already said that, maybe I should pick a different one. <laughs> it's all right Garrett. if we it, it's all right if we agree. I'd, I'd watch Garrett Green. They've I have a number for you that I'll say, but TCU's had some trouble stopping running quarterbacks. I I'm not commenting on that. 
Okay. Well, plenty to come here. Friday morning, fresh set. Saturday morning, three keys. Lots of buy the numbers later on Friday. We'll have a look at the chess match that West Virginia's play caller, parentheses S play callers, have to wage against Gary Patterson, who is always thinking two, three steps ahead of you. Um, very good during the game, adjusting. I don't want to speak for you, Chris. What else do you have? You have some videos for us that break down the game. You have some stories as well. Yeah, I'm going to have some videos up. I'm going to have a couple of recruiting stories with guys that have gotten offers recently. Also going to have the three key matchups. I'll put that up early, early, early Saturday morning. Uh, since we got to wait till 7.30 on Saturday night, won't be podcast until midnight, probably. Um, and, oh, yeah, you know what else comes Friday? Basketball preview. Uh, full game by game predictions. Um, I know it's not a bye week anymore, but did a little basketball piece last week. This week, Big 12 media days. Big 12. What did they, did they even call it media days? Was it media tip off? Big 12 tip off? Whatever we're calling it. Took the media out of it completely. Yeah. Um, so I figured now's as good a time as ever to uh, put it out there. It's about this time anyway that I always put it out. So get ready for some big, bold, just a ton of talking from me. Uh, on that one, just thousands of words to put in a prediction. You know, the best part is what? you're going you're gonna to float that balloon Friday, right? Yep. And they're going to scrimmage Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just a pin somewhere I know is going to just psh, and your theories and everything may go out the window. There's a whole lot to learn about this team. So I I, uh, I wish you luck on that tightrope because I don't – it's hard to work without a net. There's so many questions about this team that maybe you'll be right, maybe you'll be wrong, but it's going to be surely interesting to watch how it happens. All right, well, if it gets postponed, to, if my story gets postponed the next week, you guys know to blame Mike now. So there you go. You are not at a loss <laughs> of confidence if I know you. <laughs> only met not, like four times, but I do know you, so. Yeah, not, not hey, not after our, our gambling week. There's there's no lack of confidence right now. One decent week, and all of a sudden, yeah, we're back, baby. We're back. If the officials would stay out of my way, I'd be all the way back. <laughs> yeah. Until next time, I'm Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.